When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. Hello, good morning and welcome along to Friday's edition of the Football Social Daily. And with the Premier League wrapped up last weekend, there is only one place to start. Paris. Liverpool against Real Madrid for the big one the Champions League trophy. All eyes will be on the French capital with kickoff just over 24 hours away. The Reds aiming for seven and Los Blancos going for a whopping 14, yes, 14 Champions League titles. We'll be previewing the game and grabbing some predictions on whether or not the big question that Liverpool fans are asking, can Mo Salah get his revenge from Kiev in 2018? The big, big, big night in Paris all to come. But alongside that one, and let's be fair, it is the only show in town this weekend. We'll also be keeping you right up to date with events on the domestic front. Relegated Burnley have been linked with Manchester City legend Vincent Company. He's coming in to replace Ben Mee, not at centre-back. As manager, that I have to, I have to uh, add that little bit in. Vincent Company to Turf Moor looks to be almost wrapped up, and he could be back in the Premier, uh, not in the Premier League, in the Championship next week. Uh, we'll also be keeping the Liverpool theme running this morning with some contract news on Salah and Sadio Mane, and some smart early transfer business for Steven Gerrard at. Aston Villa. I'm tripping over my words a little bit this morning, but someone that we're lucky is even able to speak. He's that excitement, that excited is our resident red, Steve McNaughton. He's not in Paris, he's in Stockport, but that's not stopped him. <laughs> I'm not in Paris yet, Fergal. I will be tomorrow tomorrow lunchtime. But uh, yeah, good to be back. It's been a little while. It has indeed. It's great to have you on, building up to a massive game. Marley, are you in somewhere as sophisticated as Stockport? Not quite, mate. I'm in my uh, my spare bedroom, uh, which is doubles as my podcast room in a lovely ducking field in Manchester. So happy days there. I'm not going to Paris tomorrow. I'm staying staying quite far away from Paris, probably watching it down the pub. But uh, yeah, getting ready for it anyway. Beautiful stuff. Who needs Paris when you can have a bit more local splendour to, to keep you going? But Steve, let's be honest, it is the big one. It's an incredible game to wrap up what's been a brilliant season for Liverpool and for the Premier League. But there's a lot of focus, there's a lot of pressure and you wouldn't really have it any other way. It's the Champions League final. And to be honest, Liverpool have been here, done that, not just under Jurgen Klopp. Their, re- um, their record in Europe over the years has been incredible. Not just European finals, but winning the European Cup and winning the Champions League. And there is so much building up towards tomorrow night. But if there is a Premier League team that has been there in these situations, with this pressure, with this expectation, it is Liverpool. And I've been speaking to a lot of Liverpool fans over the week and some of them are nervous. But so many so many of them have said to me, yes, it's the toss of a coin how it's going to go down, but we've been there before. We're confident that however it goes down, 
we will put in a good account of ourselves and we'll do everything we can to win. Yeah, I think so. I think that that is the nerves. It's you know, it's the biggest game in club football in the world. You know, the Copa Libertadores, obviously in South America, you know, is is a big deal. But I think the Champions League is is where it's at. We are well pedigreed in that competition. We've we've won it a, a fair amount of times, and um, we have been in this this situation three times in the last five years. So. You know, very experienced. It's a great set of lads at Liverpool who have a a mentality like like no other. Um, and I just think it, it is going to be tight tomorrow. But I think we will do it. I think this this we've got means to have a bit of confidence going into the game. Uh, like you you said earlier, you know, Real Madrid have won one in four, but yes, they've rotated. I think that. Man City could have scored an absolute boatload against them if they were a bit more clinical. And and you've got to take. You know some some positivity from that really because I do think that Real Madrid team can be got at. Um, the danger is is that you could be three or four four nil up and then the last ten minutes they get five. <laughs> you know that's the the reality of it. They've done it four times this season, so we've just got to be calm, composed, disciplined. It doesn't matter if we go a goal down. We've just got to keep playing our football like like we have done in plenty of games this season. And I think that you know we we can pick up number seven tomorrow. We're going to get stuck into some predictions in a few minutes, Steve, but I want to ask you about team news and some of the decisions that Jurgen Klopp's going to have to make. The two, for me, really come in defence and in attack. Diogo Jota or Luis Diaz up top. Diaz has been brilliant in the Champions League for Liverpool since he arrived from Porto in January. And then at the back, you've got the experience of Joel Matip or the pace of Ibrahima Kanate. That's a that's a positive decision for Klopp to be able to make because he's got four players to fill two positions. But in midfield, there is a big doubt over Thiago Alcantara. Fabinho does look to be winning his fitness race, but it's 50-50 whether Thiago will be fit. Jurgen Klopp maybe playing a couple of mind games, saying that he was out last weekend, then in midweek saying things are looking surprisingly good. But the fact is he hasn't trained ahead of them flying out to Paris Um and it doesn't look as if he will be fit enough to start, which means Jordan Henderson comes back in. I think he might gamble. I think if, if you've got a 70-80% Thiago, I think Jürgen will gamble on him because I think Thiago is is going to be potentially the difference in that game. I think it'll be a big blow if if you know if he is out because obviously, yes, you know Jordan Henderson will come in, but it isn't the same midfield without Thiago in it, let's be absolutely frank. And I think that, you know, we, we have a, a history where we don't lose games when Thiago plays in midfield. So I think he is the one of the most important names on the pitch tomorrow. I don't I don't know the exact details of it. I think it was a little knock on his Achilles, wasn't it? Um, so I don't know whether they can give him a painkiller injection for that. But I think they'll, they'll be doing everything possible that, that he starts that game tomorrow. And, um, you know, he'll probably kind of, you know, I think he'll have to train today really to see if he has any, any reactions or anything like that before he names his team. Um, in terms of defence, I think he might go with Canate. For you know, for his pace, he's absolutely rapid. He's a big, strong lad, and, and Real Madrid can break with pace. Uh, you know, Vinicius Junior is is no slouch at all. Um, you know, I think Virgil is going to be on Benzema's side tomorrow. Um, even though Liverpool obviously might zonally, I think you know he will be over that side helping Trent out. Um, so I think that it, it you know, it, 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 that's the decision that Jurgen would make in terms of of the, the other end of the pitch. I think it's Luis Diaz that's got to start. Luis Diaz, I mean, I've not been on the podcast. I don't think since he signed, but what a sign for thirty-seven million quid! 
he is he's got to be the sign of the season. Um, you know, in comparison to other signings that were made in the Premier League, he's hit the ground running. He's contributing with goals and assists on a regular basis, and he is an absolute box of tricks. And he's a very confusing player for the opposition to deal with because he's just all over the place. His energy is insane. So I think he starts tomorrow night, and I think he'll cause um, that Real Madrid backline a few problems. Certainly, uh, you know, Carvajal. Um, but that that's what I go with. I, obviously, the rest of the team probably, um, you know, we could, we could all kind of, you know, predict it. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, we'll set up very, very strong tomorrow night and, and we will need to be at our absolute best. Looking at Real Madrid, Mali, the, their record in the Champions League is just incredible. Seven straight Champions League final wins in a row is just is just mind-blowing. If they do do it tomorrow night in Paris, that would put them on double the amount of titles of any other team. 14 for them and seven for AC Milan. Within Carlo Ancelotti's squad, you've got nine players pushing to catch Cristiano Ronaldo's record of five Champions League titles. Ancelotti is going for his fourth himself as a manager. This is a, a team and a squad and a bench with Ancelotti just packed with experience. And you can't undersell it even or, or even oversell it. It is so important in these games to have that experience. And every single player that pulls on a white Real Madrid shirt tomorrow night will have been in this situation or similar before. Liverpool will have more experience, as you mentioned with Steve, than most Premier League teams. And a lot of the Liverpool players have played in the other finals under Jurgen Klopp. But when it comes to Real Madrid, experience is, is just on another level. It is, yeah. Um, and that is huge because, you know, as Steve mentioned before, you know, it's the biggest game in club football and you don't get them, you don't get there often as a player. But if you are Real Madrid, you got, you've been there more than anyone else, really. So you're looking at that, that team and saying... You know, people like Nacho at the back and Marcelo and Carvajal and uh, Alaba and Casemiro, Cruz, Modric, Benzema, they've all been there at least at least three times, you know, in the past past few years when they won the, the three in a row a few years back. Um, that's huge. And it, it basically, it should help that, that um, period in the match when it first kicks off with them not being as nervous as, as other teams would be. Um, you know, usually in a in a Champions League final, we've seen it with Spurs against Liverpool a couple of years ago. There was a few nerves. Uh, Sissoko made a mistake straight away, and the game was gone within three minutes because they were one 0 down. And Liverpool could then take the time a bit more and not have to rush anything. So the game can go pretty quick. So as soon as you get going, you have to settle down as quickly as possible, and that's where experience comes in because you know Real Madrid have shown this this year in the Champions League, especially that experience is is key because they know that it only takes a second to score a goal. You you don't need to be good for 90 minutes to win a game. You know, they proved that against Man City. They were probably better than Man City for a combined probably 10 minutes in the entire two legs and they they won they won the, uh, over the course of the two legs. So it was uh, it was huge for them and you know there there's no better mental warrior like mental strength team in the world than Real Madrid I wouldn't say because even in La Liga they've not been particularly swashbuckling and fantastic and haven't brushed everyone aside they've just been solid and they've and everyone else around them has fell apart and Barcelona have gone through stuff in in Spain over the last couple of years where they're not in a position now to challenge for for La Liga they almost finished outside the top four at one point this season Sevilla couldn't put it together neither could Atletico 
Betis, Sociedad were nowhere near either. So, but Real Madrid was like a, a solid seven out of ten and won the league by a, at an absolute canter. Really, I think they won it by ten points in the end. They weren't particularly amazing, but they were solid enough to get it done, and that's what they're good at. They're good at sort of cruising along in third gear and being too good for you. And then if they need fourth and fifth gear, they know when to do it. And this is huge for uh, for a Champions League final. So I think it's going to come down to to Liverpool. I think Liverpool will dominate the game. But if uh, if it, if they go a goal up or two goals up, Real Madrid won't panic. I think they'll, they'll know that they've done things before that can get them back into the game. Um, and it'll be a really interesting interesting game to watch. Steve, Marley makes a really good point, this idea that Real Madrid know they don't have to win 90 minutes. They only need to win a portion of the game in order to get their hands on the trophy. And I'm just looking back at the results and some fantastic results in the Champions League so far this season. Against PSG, Karen Benzema's hat-trick was scored within 15 minutes. The goals to beat Chelsea were scored within 14 minutes. And then obviously, sorry Man City fans, the goals to beat Man City were scored within seven minutes. That is absolutely incredible and it shows yeah. that if Liverpool are not guarded from, from minute one until minute 94, 95 or even into extra time, they will get picked off. And, and that is an incredible ability that Real Madrid have got. But on the flip side of the coin, we, we do have to give Liverpool their due in the Champions League that they don't have that weakness that Man City and PSG do. They're not as strong experience-wise as Real Madrid, but you look at that fragility that we've seen season after season with City and with PSG in Europe, Liverpool are not on Real Madrid's level, but they're also not on PSG or Man City's level in terms of being exposed. Yeah, yeah, it, it is a good point. And it's... You know, I think what Ancelotti... Ancelotti's done a tremendous job at Real Madrid since he's gone in there because he has made them, you know, much more solid. And because Real Madrid used to be involved in bloody 4-3s and everything all the time, you know, and um, I think that he has made them very difficult to beat. But that mentality where they they think to themselves, well, we probably need a quarter of the match instead of a half, um, you know, to do the damage. And I think that that is something that, that we have to be very wary about, um, as you guys have pointed out. I think, you know, we don't concede a massive amount of goals. Um, and I think that that is something that we, we can, you know, we can, we can take comfort from because I think other teams, you know, that you mentioned, like, you know, PSG and Man City have had times in their league, very rare, where they have conceded four or they have conceded five when they've been beat. I'm thinking of... Um, you know, when Leicester beat City uh, early early in the season. Um, it, when Liverpool get beat, they got beat by West Ham and it was it was 3-2. Um, and when they got beat by Leicester, it was 1-0. And they're not massively kind of getting battered by anyone, you know, when they get beat. It, the, the very close games are only a goal in it. So I think that we, we have got to look at, you know, our, our defensive capabilities. I think they obviously will target the right-hand side. They will go after Trent like, like everyone does. I think that, you know, Trent has improved considerably defensively this season. I think he's, he's had his best season from a defensive point of view. Obviously, we all know about his ball distribution skills and, and, and what he brings to that Liverpool team. But I think they will try and go down Liverpool's right-hand side last night because I've got every confidence in, in, in Andy Robertson. Um, and I think that, you know, Andy Robertson will 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 aid and, and keep Canate, you know, in his position. But I think that, yeah, we've just got to do our job. We play a very high line. Real Madrid will be trying to expose that and go over the top of us or, th- or, or through us. And um, 
if we stick to our jobs and we and we stick to our guns and and you know we've we've got a goalkeeper who is just outstanding behind the defence, especially in one on one situations. Um, we've just got to kind of you know be be cautious and be, but you know be optimistic. We have got the necessary tools to do the job tomorrow night. There's no doubt about it. Right, the difficult one, Steve. I'm going to give you a second to to compose yourself. Predictions, Marley. This could be an absolute cracker, and and I just think you've got a position of the kings of Europe against uh, maybe the princes of Europe because Liverpool are <laughs> the most the most successful English side in the history of the European Cup and the Champions League. But you look at Real Madrid, and, and they, there's just something about them and the Champions League. But there's also this argument that it, it can't go on forever. They're probably not as good as they were under Zinedine Zidane. They are an incredible side, but. Liverpool need this. They've got two cups in the in the trophy cabinet already so far this season, pipped in the Premier League title race. There is pressure on Liverpool to win this. Give us your prediction. Uh, I'm finding the prediction hard, you know. Um I think I think Liverpool will I think Liverpool will edge it to be honest. I can't see I can't see Real Madrid you know with what I said before about, you know, Real Madrid only need to be better for a few minutes. It's whether they can be or not, because if you're giving away so much of a like a, a big part of the game, if that's what happens, I think Liverpool could, you know, it, it's all about those those sort of breakthroughs. Can can you break through that defence and and get a couple of goals up and really put the pressure on Real Madrid to to do it all over again? And I think you see this quite a lot when Real Madrid, um, you know, they have such a tough run to the final and they overcome everyone. It's almost like. Real Madrid deserved to to win the final after beating everybody, after beating Chelsea, Man City, um, and you know um, coming through that sort of murderer's row of of opposition, um, and it it never works out that that team wins it. I remember Ajax a couple of years ago; they probably deserved to win the entire competition in in 2019 and got done by Spurs in the uh, in the semi final, where again Spurs were better for about 30 seconds of that match, and uh, and managed to 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 nick one. So. You know, I, it often works out like that, and I can see Liverpool getting the win. Um, but I think the battle comes down to Vinicius against Trent um, in the in the left wing slash right back position because I think if if Liverpool don't break through Real Madrid's defence, they're open on the counter attack, and I think Vinicius has been one of the best wingers in the world, arguably the best winger if you uh, if you want to go down that route. But um, I can see him having some success at some point. But I can see Liverpool having more over the course of the sustained pressure um, and getting it done. Steve, there is an argument, and I fully agree with Marley, that the worst thing Liverpool can do is deserve to win this final. Almost by out Real Madrid in Real Madrid could well be the way to go. Yeah, yeah, uh, you're right. It could do, I think. I mean, let's face it, they both deserve to win it. They've got through, I mean, Liverpool got through a particularly tough group um and won both all games home and away um the you know the Benfica and Villarreal uh, you know you've got to say that they, they are favorable draws really um but to get to the final of a Champions League and, and to get rid of all the massive teams that are around you um is good going so they both in the in their own way shape or form deserve to win tomorrow but um I do you know what it's funnily I have my score ready 
as soon as we started this this part of the podcast. And Marley's just predicted the same score as mine, uh, which is two one to Liverpool. I think it, I think Liverpool will go two nil up, and I think it'll be Real Madrid will get one back probably on about the seventy sixth minute, and it'll be made for a very edgy. 17, 18 minutes, but I think we'll we'll just hold on for it. I think it, and that's how it'll go tomorrow. I'm going to go a little bit further. I am going to go for a Liverpool win, and I am going to go for a tight Liverpool win, but I'm going to go for extra time. I think 1-0 in extra time. I think it'll be an absolute chess match of a game. I think Ancelotti is a real cool cat in these situations. He won't get flustered to make changes or, or look to overhaul things, but on the flip side, I think Jurgen Klopp, in terms of any other manager in Europe, he is the best-placed to counteract this type of a situation. I think the way he reacts within games, within pressure situations, is probably only rivaled by Carlo Ancelotti. So I'm going for Liverpool. I think it'll be tight. I think it'll be tense. But I think the experience, Van Dijk, Henderson, in those difficult moments where Real Madrid will look to drag the game away from you, I think they're enough of a <clears throat> of a stabilising force within that Liverpool team. And then in Salah, Mane and Diaz, you've got three incredible strikers that at least one of them, you'd expect, can get you a goal to win it in Paris. Right, we're going to wrap up for part one of the podcast. After the break, we're flicking back to the Premier League. A little bit more on Liverpool, Salah and Mane's contract future. Steven Gerrard has made another signing at Aston Villa and there could be a new man in the door at Turf Moor. All that to come in just a sec. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Friday's edition of the Football Social Daily Champions League preview in the bag. We've gone for three Liverpool wins. Stee is hoping that we've not jinxed them, but a little bit of confidence could be a big, big help for Jurgen Klopp. Right, in part two, we're going back to the day job, the Premier League, Marley. Well, I say the Premier League, but... As of now, technically not, because we're talking about Burnley and Elect have confirmed that Vincent Company has left the club amid growing rumours that he is going to take over at Turf Moor. Obviously, Sean Dye shown the door at the back end of the domestic season. Mike Jackson came in and just couldn't quite keep Burnley in the Premier League. And Vincent Company comes in. We know his legacy at Manchester City. Captain that led them to league title. Incredible player. Belgian international. Lots of experience. But he's had a strange situation at Anderlecht. He joined the club in June 2019, or returned to the club rather, as player-manager. It didn't work initially. He stepped down to focus on being a player. Then he was reappointed in 2020. Fourth place and third place finishes. Not exactly tearing it up. I know Belgium is not the strongest league in Europe, but he's, he's not exactly winning it or making any great strides in the Champions League. This is a bit of an odd call. Vincent Company, in terms of a player... He's not questioned. He was an incredible Premier League player. But is there a danger he's being picked on his name? We've got a number of ex-Premier League players managing in the Premier League at the moment with a mixed return. Frank Lampard, Steven Gerrard, Mikel Arteta, Patrick Vieira have all had good-ish seasons. Is there a potential problem here that Vincent Company is just being shoehorned in to get Burnley back into the Premier League with not a lot of evidence that he can do it? Yes, a hundred percent. I think this is um, this is a an appointment. It's a, it's a complete gamble. This um, he's not been particularly good at Anderlecht. Forget what he is as a player. It's completely different. He went to Anderlecht as a player manager on a on a 
sort of favour basis, you know, like he, he got that on his name and sort of ease him into the into the um the coaching world, the managing world. And then, you know, two years later he's he's ditching that for a for a crack at what a lot of people rank as the hardest league in the world to get out of. Um and he's gotta overtake a squad that's been playing very direct, very route one for for seven, eight years or ten years of, of Deitch, I, I would say. Um, and then bring them, change the style, bring them back to the Premier League, and and then and then keep them there. Um, I think this is a, a huge, huge job for an inexperienced manager, um, and I'm not entirely sure what he's done to deserve this, other than he might be he might be the next big thing. He might be. He's got a great footballing brain. We all we all know that. We all know how what a good player he was and how he was uh, mentally absolutely like massive. Um, but it's it's totally different. He's not done anything in in, um, in coaching to suggest he is a sort of prodigy or uh, the next sort of th- big thing. Because you know, fourth with Anderlecht is it's nothing short of average, really. They, if you're talking about doing good things with Anderlecht, it's getting in the Champions League by winning the league and getting through the um, getting through a group stage. Maybe that's like the ultimate thing for Anderlecht. I would say that's their their ceiling. But you know, you look at the Belgium league this year, and it was won at a canter by uh, Union Saint Gilois, who were basically Leicester of Belgium, and and came out of nowhere to to totally walk the league this year. And you know, Anderlecht were nowhere in that fight. They were fourth behind, I think it was um, Genk or Ghent or both. I'm not sure. Um, but fourth is is not an achievement in Belgium. Um, and I think this is just. A huge gamble by by Burnley. I think there's probably more suited managers out there that that would go to the Burnley because it's still an attractive proposition with the uh, with the way the clubs run, with the new owners, with the parachute payments coming in. I think it's all all there for them to go straight back up if they got the right manager. But uh, this is a this is a huge gamble for them because company I don't think has done anything to be honest yet to suggest he would be the man to bring them back. It is an odd decision by Burnley if it if it goes through. It's obviously not been confirmed just yet, Steve, but it seems to be moving in that direction. And Vincent Company, as as Marley has pointed out, also great Belgian football knowledge. Marley, fair play. I, I've been rapidly checking that, and and you're absolutely spot on with your uh, with your Belgian info. Vincent Company, this is a really difficult job, and it, and it just kind of underlines this idea that Burnley don't have a plan after Sean Dyche. When Mike Jackson came in on a caretaker basis, given the situation that it was very chaotic and the focus was just on trying to stay up, a lot of things were let go. You know, pick it up in the summer, if we survive, if we don't survive. You're going for Vincent Company on the back of getting rid of a manager who almost guaranteed you Premier League survival for the best part of a decade. And now you're taking a chance on a manager with very little experience, a big name, but very little experience. And definitely not, as Marley pointed out, getting you out of the slugfest that is a 46-game championship season. I think Marley absolutely nailed it with with his summary of the situation, really. I mean, I can't you know, add, add anything to that. I think I think it's a terrible appointment if it goes through. I think, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of when Everton appointed Rafa. And it was because we obviously know about Vinny's uh, links to the North West uh, through his Man City history. And it's kind of like, oh, yeah, I've got a base in the North West, so therefore I can take the job on. Um, he's got no right to be going into that job. He's he's not adequately qualified to do it. And, and it could be a disaster. And Burnley are on the... 
I mean, I've heard some rumours about Burnley. I don't know if you guys will be able to say the truth that um, that the owners, the new owners who come in last season, have actually leveraged the club on Premiership survival, and they've not survived the Premier League. So it's putting them in a very difficult position financially. So I think there's all kinds of stuff going on at Burnley, and. Like Marley said, there's plenty of other options that you'd have put in front of him. I don't even think, if we're going to be honest about it, Vincent Company would have even come into our top 10 or 15 if we were discussing it around the table. I don't think he just would have been entered into the conversation. So I'm not quite sure what the hell is going on. <laughs> uh, I'm going to flick back to you, Steve, because we're, we're keeping the Liverpool theme running. Uh, and Mohamed Salah and Sadio Mane, big, big talk that they could potentially be on their way out of Liverpool either this summer or next summer. Salah, in his press conference ahead of the final, has said that he's not going anywhere this summer, at least. He was quite relaxed in the press conference. He said that talks are still ongoing. The club know what he wants. He knows what he wants. Sadio Mane has given a bit more of a mysterious response. He said that he will do a big reveal. I think he said a beautiful reveal after the final on Saturday, which is a, a strange comment to make considering the links with Bayern Munich, etc. And I'm just reading through here, he's done an interview with Jamie Carragher in The Telegraph where he talked about how he rejected Manchester United when he was leaving Southampton. Jurgen Klopp got on the phone and said, no, I want you down the road at, uh, at Liverpool. And obviously it all worked out for the best for, for Sadio Mane. All of the signs look to be pointing towards that he'll stay. This is a bit of a strange comment to make if he's planning on leaving. But this is an issue that needs to be addressed. Both of them are moving into the final 12 months of their contract. A decision needs to be made. They've been incredible for Liverpool, but tough decisions. So Alex Ferguson, Arsene Wenger, Jose Mourinho, they all made them over star players. Jurgen Klopp needs to make a call here. And you get the sense that both of them are not going to sign three, four-year contracts. But he needs to do something. And the two players need to do something. Yeah, I think Sadio Mane to come to Sadio first. It's it, it just a tremendous player who's had a, who's had another wonderful season at Liverpool. He will sign a new deal. I'm convinced he'll sign a new deal. I don't think you say that the things that he's been saying if you're not going to sign because if he says he's got a beautiful announcement to make, I see you, lads. I'm going to buy <laughs> Munich. That that's not going to fly, is it? Yeah. And I thought, and I yeah. think you can't see him holding the trophy and just saying, "Hold on, can you just hold on to this for a second? I just need to just quickly say that I'm leaving." Yeah, yeah, it's not going to happen. Uh, but you know, stranger things have happened. Uh, with regards to Mo Salah, he might not have a choice. He said he's he's staying around next season. He might not have a choice. If we get an attractive offer for him in summer, we'll sell him. There's no doubt about it. You've got this this asset um, in in Mo Salah, who's a tremendous player. Let's be honest about it. We absolutely love the bones of him and adore him, but he's been sulking for months. There's no doubt about it. He's been, you know, he's not been playing with a smile on his face. And um, I think the contract situation and uh, has got to him. Um, I think if, if we're going to uh, do any business, I think we'd probably sell Mo Salah. And I think that, you know, Bobby Firmino will probably run his contract down and leave next summer as well. After five, what is it, five or six seasons, it is time to evolve that front line. Obviously, we've brought in. Diogo Jota, we've brought in Luis Diaz, we've brought in a very young Fabio Carvalho from Fulham, who's a very exciting talent. Um, you know, we're heavily linked with Nunes from Benfica. You know, I mean, I've seen an outlandish story this morning linking us with Harry Kane, which I can never see happening. So I think Jurgen is is already been planning to evolve that that main front three and um, ha- have a depth of around five or six that he can rely on. Obviously, Divock Origi is leaving as well, um, so we do need that backup striker. So it's going to be an interesting window, but like you say, he, he will know he has to do the things that Sir Alex was so good at. Was so good at. 
and, and that was kind of recognising when something has potentially had its course. And I think we're, we're very much in, in that period now. Um, you know, it is time to replace some big names in that Liverpool team, not necessarily because they've done anything wrong, just because that's football and we need to keep evolving and, and, and kind of keep staying competitive because, you know, you've got the Hendersons of this world, um, James Milner, uh, you know, like I've said, Divock Origi, people like that. They, 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 you know, the, the older lads are coming towards the probably twilight of the careers, even, you know, around 32. Um, I think that, um, you know, Milner's going to do an extension, which which just seems a no-brainer because he is still of use. Um, but I think, yeah, it's time to tweak that front line and, and evolve it a little bit. And we've made a boatload of prize money this season. I think we, we're going to end the season on around 250 million quid of the prize money. And, you know, you could, you could do quite a lot with that, with player sales as well. So I don't think they'll spend it all. I think they're going to wait for Bellingham next summer. But... You know, I think that, yeah, it is time really to, to shake it up a little bit, I think. Uh, final story that I just want to touch on, Marley. Uh, Aston Villa have confirmed an agreement with Sevilla for, for Diego Carlos, target of Newcastle, target of Liverpool uh, in January and all the way back to last summer. They've already brought in Bubakara Samara and Felipe Coutinho, who was on loan for the last few months of the of the 21-22 season. Really early business from Steven Gerrard and some smart business. I'm just looking at where they finished in the Premier League. 14th, 11 points away from Europe and 10 points away from the drop zone. It couldn't have been more of a mid-table finish for Steven Gerrard in his, in his first season in charge. But this is a kind of an odd situation because some of the teams around them, obviously your guys, Newcastle, you'd expect them to be spending money. Leicester, you'd expect them to spend money. Everton, again, you'd expect them to <clears throat> throw around a bit of money. This is clever and smart and sharp by Steven Gerrard, but it is a bit of a surprise that Aston Villa are attracting these players. Is it? I don't want to. Under, I don't want to offend any Aston Villa fans, but is it the Gerrard factor? Because if you're coming to the Premier League and you're looking and thinking, I'm probably not good enough to play for a Champions League team, would you go to Aston Villa when there might be other options on the table? Uh, I, I don't think it's the Gerard link. I think it's money. Um, I heard the other day that, yeah, but, um, Bubakar Kamara is apparently getting 175 grand a week. Wow. That's at Aston Villa, 175k a week. That's mental. <clears throat> don't tell, is, don't tell Salah that. He'll be going to Villa. <laughs> no, no, yeah. It's, it's such like I, I get that Villa are ambitious and they want to, you know, bridge that gap into the top half and then Europe eventually and become sort of the best of the rest. But this is, this is a mad um, amount of money to, to to chuck at your squad. You know they've got. So if if Kamara's on. 175 grand a week. I think when Newcastle were getting linked with Diego Carlos in um, in January, he was he was talking wages of, of a similar amount. Like he wanted, I think that was one of the the straws that broke the camel's back. Newcastle didn't want to pay, you know, close to 200 grand a week for a guy when they were in the relegation fight and, and what have you. Um, and Villa have just gone in with an open checkbook with with two players and a lot of teams, a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, they've done great business really early, but. Yes, they have on the base of it, but if if these players don't go go well, they're stuck with a huge wage bill and getting rid of um, some some players where the the resources are being drained. I know they've got the money from Grealish and they've got you know more more money coming in from the Premier League finish, but they've they've signed Dina Coutinho and um, Kamara and uh, and now Diego Carlos, and I'm thinking how much of that money is actually left? Like is 
how what what more have you got? Because you know they're going to need to start selling players soon, and I can't see Tyrone Mings bringing in too much money. I can't see their you know, marvelous Nakamba and you know Douglas Louise bringing in huge fees to offset that. Any any like not seriously. So I think whoever it uh, it may be that comes in through the door after. Um, after this uh, this announcement of Diego Carlos, I think it's uh, it's a very very big gamble for for Villa because they've got a lot of um, a lot of ground to make up on on where they want to be. And you know, the last season they were the fourteenth best team in the league, and that doesn't really um, mirror spending two hundred well best part of two hundred grand a week on at least three first team players. So. You'd have to see what um, have to see what happens. Obviously, I could be wrong, but I just think this is either way. Whatever happens, it's an absolutely massive gamble. This. Yeah, I agree. It's going to be an interesting season for Aston Villa, and it's probably going to be a big summer of spending for all those teams in and around mid-table. Right, we're going to wrap it up for today's edition of the Football Social Daily. Just a quick reminder, we are down to three podcasts a week over the summer. So Monday, Wednesday and Friday, we'll be producing a Premier League podcast. So don't forget to keep on listening. Throughout the summer, we'll be building back to the 2022-23 Premier League season in August, but we'll still be going through the summer. It's going to be a big night, Steve. Thanks for joining us, Marley, as well. Good luck in Paris, Steve. Cheers, lads. Great stuff indeed. Marley, as always, thanks so much for your time. Not a problem. Thank you. Great stuff indeed. Thank you for listening uh, to today's edition of the Football Social Daily. Building up to a big, big night in Paris. We'll be back on Sunday reviewing the game. Will it be Liverpool? Will it be Real Madrid? All will be revealed. And if you want to check that out, hit subscribe up the top and you can get access to the brand new episode as soon as it is ready. Thanks for listening and speak to you again very, very soon. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.